listening to Staying in the Game, a Plum Dragon Herbs podcast where we have conversations about mindset and techniques for staying on top of your game. I'm your host, Nick Patterson, and today I'm joined with Stephen Sashin, the creator and CEO of Zero Shoes. Thank you so much for being here with us today. A pleasure. Looking forward to what's next. Yeah, so I guess as a primer for the rest of our conversation, could you give our audience an introduction into Zero Shoes, please? Oh my gosh. Um, sure. So it's really simple. You have a quarter of the bones and joints of your whole body in your feet and ankles. And you have more nerve endings in the soles of your feet than anywhere but your fingertips and your lips. So it seems like you're supposed to use those things at the bottom of your legs. They're not just, you know, paddles that need to be coddled and protected. Um, they're supposed to bend and flex and move and feel the world. If they don't do that job, all that function, which is about mobility and balance and agility, tries unsuccessfully to move upstream to your ankle, your knee, your hip, your back. So zero shoes, I'm going to grab up here. So zero shoes are designed to let your feet do their job so the rest of your body can do its job. And what that means is we have a wider foot-shaped toe box so your toes can spread. Because, you know, like if you're going to drop and do push-ups, you spread your fingers out because that gives you balance and strength. Same thing with your toes. They're low to the ground for balance and agility. They're super, super flexible, so all those bones and joints can move. They're really lightweight. We've had people go to bed still wearing their shoes because they forgot they had them on, not because they were passed out drunk, although I'm sure that's happened too. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, they don't have elevated uh, toes or elevated heels because those mess with your posture and your gait. The soles are designed to give you ground feedback that thing that your brain needs to know how to control your body effectively, but also the protection and traction you need. And they're really durable. They're back to the 5,000 mile sole warranty. And so we have a total line of um, casual and performance boots, shoes, and sandals that people wear for everything from taking a walk to a night on the town to running across Madagascar. Wow. Well, that, that is definitely fascinating. And I guess the understandable next follow-up question would be, you know, what is your personal background and, how did you get to this point? And I guess, why shoes and why feet? Uh, because I was an idiot. Um, a, running running any business is difficult. Running a shoe business is really difficult. You know, we're obviously up against hundreds of billions of dollars of competitors and propaganda and mythology that they've been putting out. Like, you know, hold on, wait, I'm going to grab something. You know, most shoes that you get look like this, where it's an elevated heel, elevated toe, stiff, heavy, all this excess cushioning, these flared soles change the way your foot contacts the ground. I mean, could not be worse for you. And um, But when we started Zero Shoes, I'm doing this story kind of in reverse. About seven months in, we had some guys who we met with who'd been in the footwear biz for almost 40 years. And they said, we believe in you and we believe in what you're doing. Natural movement is the most important thing there is. Uh, and we would start this business with you, but we're, we've been in footwear so long that we're not stupid enough to try and start a shoe company. <laughs> wow. What, and my wife, well, and my wife and I both said, you know, we know we're hyper optimistic and naive, but that's the only way anything happens. So away we go. Um, so the how was I got back into sprinting when I was 45, which is 13 and a half years ago. Oh, shit. Almost 14 years ago. Uh, and I was getting injured pretty much constantly for the first couple of years. And a friend of mine suggested that I try running barefoot to see if I learned anything from doing that. And the short version of the story is I learned why I was getting injured and more importantly, how to stop getting injured because running barefoot wrong hurts and doing it right feels good. And so just by using fun and comfort and relaxation as a guide, my gait changed into a way that made me less likely to get injured. I basically haven't been injured for the last 12 years. And I mean, you know, like a minor little hamstring, something that happened, puts right. me out for a week, but you know, nothing like what I was getting before. And so I wanted that natural movement, that barefoot like experience. 
as much as I could have it. I didn't want to keep arguing with people about whether I was allowed to go into their store or their restaurant without shoes. And so I made some sandals based on like a multi thousand year old design, just something to protect your foot, something to hold that on your foot. And we're just doing that as a hobby. And then a guy who was writing a book on barefoot running said, if you had a website and treated this hobby like a business, I'd put you in the book. So Mm -hmm. I rush home. I pitch this incredible opportunity to my wife who assures me that I have my head completely up my butt and it was a horrible, stupid idea and I shouldn't do it. And I said, okay, all right, you're right. And then after she went to bed, I built a website. So (laughs) kind of classic. And it just took off. Uh, Now, granted, I've been an internet marketer for like 30 years. So I knew what to do with it. But what we thought was going to be maybe a car payment is now a not insignificantly large, well, not insignificantly small business, is that a way to put it? We're a decent sized business growing really quickly. And uh, and now have helped well over half a million people discover the fun and benefits of natural movement in all of our shoes and sandals. That's just incredible. And so you actually segued right into a really important question that I had is I feel one of the reasons I really wanted to talk with you today is I feel like Plum Dragon and Zero Shoes have this similarity that we're utilizing products that have been around for thousands of years with a high success track record. You know, they've been used for thousands of years because they work. But take that to today in the Western world, and correct me if I'm wrong, but still, you know, we're viewed a little bit as an alternative space. It's so weird. So the oldest footwear that's been discovered so far is about 10,000 years old. And it looks just like some of our sandals. I mean, it was a sandal. Now, in the 9,950 years after that first shoe, uh, most footwear was just looked like that, something to protect your foot, something to hold on your foot. If you're dealing with cold, something to you know protect you from the cold. Mm-hmm. So the modern athletic shoe yep. is, is the intervention. It's only about 50 years old, and they have zero evidence for its efficacy. None. Zero. Zilch. Nada. Nine. Forget about it. So people talk about us like, you know, yeah. where's your proof for what you do? It's like, no, no. Where's the proof for what they do? The proof now there is science backing up what we're doing, but there isn't like the definitive study because that would cost many millions of dollars, take a number of years, and the only people who would benefit from it are the companies like ours who don't have that kind of cash, uh, and the big companies. We've heard from the CEOs of a number of major footwear brands that w- they said to friends of ours, "What Zero Shoes is doing is legit. We just can't do it because it would be admitting that everything we've said for the last fifty years is a lie." Wow. Well, so so I, I guess because that, that's so fascinating because going in, I kind of assumed that, you know, that was the answer. But where, where is their logic? I mean, and, and why would they and is it really the whole reason they'd be against it is because they just know that, well, look, they can't, do it. They, it up, they can't switch. How can you change your story, you know, midstream? Yeah. So the way that what people don't know, the reason that shoes ended up looking like this Mm-hmm. is some guys um, who, orthopedic podiatrists, uh, were in the same building that Nike was in in the early days. And Bill Bowerman from Nike came to them one day saying, I'm getting all these runners with Achilles tendonitis. What do you think I should do? And they said, well, clearly they've been wearing higher heel dress shoes, so their Achilles have shortened. So you need to put a wedge of foam in a running shoe and accommodate their shortened Achilles. Because if you remember the 
and I don't expect that you necessarily would. The early Nike waffle trainer was just a tiny bit of foam and it was basically flat. It was a, it was a pretty good shoe. Um, and so anyway, so Bowerman made this new wedged heel thing with foam in it. And the footwear industry is just a bunch of copycats. So when that shoe started selling well, because they were pushing it hard, everyone started copying the same idea. Now, here's the kicker. Some 30 years later, one of these podiatrists is at a track meet with a friend of mine, a guy who had worked at Nike for like 30 years directly with Bowerman. And he said, you know, this design idea that you came up with is now what's being used by every shoe company because they just copied it because they were terrified they'd never sell another shoe. What do you think about that? And the doctor's answer was, biggest mistake we ever made. Wow. That's just incredible. Especially so, that nobody knows that. Wow. Yeah, I know. Uh, sh- shockingly, it's not in the books about Nike or any of the yeah. other companies. I mean, because, you know, this basic idea makes a certain kind of intuitive sense, like running can feel painful if you're running in crappy shoes or running in shoes at all. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you want cushioning because cushioning is how you protect yourself from impact. Makes sense, except that it's not true. It's the research shows unequivocally that the cushioning in shoes does not reduce impact forces and in fact often increases it and sends those forces directly into your joints instead of into your muscles, ligaments, and tendons, which are built to actually handle those forces. So so would you say a fair analogy would be that cushioning is like putting a, a Band-Aid on a broken arm? It's not going to fix the problem? Cushioning is like putting it's, – it's worse than that oh, wow. because it can actually cause the problems. So, again, I'm going to keep holding up this yeah. shoe. So, you know, if you run in your bare feet, you're going to typically land on the midfoot or the ball of your foot, and you're going to land with your foot underneath your body. So it's not just reaching out and pointing your toes. That's mm-hmm. problematic. It's just starting to use the spring mechanism that is your lower body that starts with the arch in your foot. So that's the first the first part of the spring and protective mechanism in your body. And so if you then put this wedge of foam underneath, or let me try and describe it this way. When your foot contacts the ground, when you're barefoot, it kind of comes across your heel, barely misses the ground, and you land about like this. If you put a big wedge underneath, then you suddenly are hitting your heel in front of your body with a relatively straight leg. So you're putting the brakes on with your foot in front of your body. Every time it lands, that's slowing you down. And then it's sending force up through your bones and up through your bones, basically, mostly into your knee. Um, and then you have to re-accelerate by pulling the ground underneath you, which is putting your glutes and hamstrings in a weak position when they should be in a strong position, which is about extending behind you instead of pulling towards you. So the it, it's way worse than a Band-Aid. Um, it's also kind of like, um, I'm trying to think, oh, let's, let's add arch support into the mix because here, here's the kicker. So if you're landing on your heel, Mm -hmm. your heel's a ball, it's unstable. So now they have to build in motion control. So that's what they try to do with this flared sole thing. But with the flared sole, if you're landing on a spot that's further out from where your heel actually is. So it makes this happen. So suddenly there's excessive pronation, which they then try to control. But there's no amount of foam that can handle the amount of force that you're actually hitting the ground with. If you weigh 150 pounds, you hit the ground with like 400 to 600 pounds of force. No amount of foam is going to protect you from rolling you know, your ankle that way. You also land with your foot basically flat, and it comes down with your foot fully extended instead of using the arch in your foot. And if you think about doing a bicep curl, you're weakest here, you're strongest here. Yep. So same thing with your foot, weakest here, strongest here, weakest here, strongest here. So if you land with a flatter foot, you're putting your plantar fascia under strain, like putting too much weight on a bicep curl at the bottom. So then they had to build an arch support so you wouldn't have to use your arch at all. Tell me how that makes sense. So, so the, the whole system is just unnatural. That's... yeah. 
That is fascinating. So, so I guess uh, a follow-up from there. So what are the short-term benefits of wearing zero shoes? Like if I went out today and went on my jog, how different is it going to be? Well, the first thing is comfort because, again, wider toe box, your toes can spread. Feeling the ground tells your brain what to do. So I'm not going to suggest that you should just switch into zero shoes, go out, and everything's going to be perfect. Definitely not the case because you've been used to doing one thing in one way. It's going to take a little while for your body to kind of wake up. But the good news is what inspires your body to move differently is getting feedback. And by designing what we do the way we do it, it you get that feedback. Again, doing it wrong hurts. Doing it right feels good. So the comfort is number one. And if you're just going to go walking, you're probably fine. Um, yeah. but, if you're, but you're not going to just like go from running 10 miles a day in shoes that look like this to running 10 miles a day in shoes that look like this. You want to take some time to get used to that, to transition slowly, go, go for like a 20 second run, see how you feel mm -hmm. the next day. If you're not having fun, do something different till you are, uh, you know, using fun as your guide, not some arbitrary idea about how far you should go or how fast you should go. So the comfort is number one. And that feedback is number two, because when you, um, per, when you have all this stuff in between, your foot and the ground, when your brain isn't getting those sensations, that information from the soles of your feet, it effectively shuts down. I mean, it's like, oh, you're not going to give me what I need. Well, then I'll just, you know, go offline. So the other thing that happens is you just get this feeling like you walk around and it's like you're getting a foot massage instead of being disconnected from the ground entirely. And look, you know this from martial arts, connection to the ground is everything. Yes. And so if you're not feeling that, actually we had someone, this is going to be odd. Someone made a video he sent me yesterday. He's a golfer. He said he went for a six mile run in his new shoes, loved it, forgot he had them on and he went and played golf. And he says, I couldn't suddenly realize I'm like feeling the ground more and that's translating into my swing better. And I hadn't even thought about it. So same idea, you know, you're trying to get that information from your feet that goes up to your brain that then goes back down to the rest of your body. Some of it actually just goes to your spinal cord at the bottom and comes right back. There's reflexive stuff as well. So, uh, and they're also super light. So there's that aspect also. It can often feel like you're just not wearing anything, like I said. So put that all together. Those are the real benefits. Now, after that, there's research that shows that just walking in minimalist shoes like ours builds foot muscle strength as much as if you did an actual foot strengthening exercise program. There's research that shows if you have arch support in your shoes um, or if you put arch support in the shoes of healthy athletes, they lose up to 17% of the muscle mass in their feet in as little as 10 weeks. There's research that shows that with elderly women, they were put in minimalist footwear similar to ours, actually not even as good as ours. Um, and just by walking around, just living in those shoes, many of the women had knee osteoarthritis went away. Now, I'm not making medical claims or promises. I'm just reporting on some of the research that's been done. And if you go to our website, you'll see, I think it's now like over 30,000 five-star reviews from people talking about what's happened for them. Um, your mileage may vary, obviously. But the, the simple thing I like to say is, when is you know, it's about use it or lose it. When is losing it better than using it? And I can't think of a time. When is natural not the better option? And I can almost never think of a time. Yeah, hundred a hundred percent. You know that that is the same battle that you know we fight at at Plum Dragon is is just that natural is always going to be the the better solution. So I guess on this note, could we dive into I guess a little bit of the science behind um, you know, zero shoes and, and what you've created. You mean more than what I just said? Yeah. Um, 
Well, just I was gonna say like it, and at least like the the makeup of one of the the flip flops, if possible. I was very curious. Or the sandals, if if they're, if, if they're that's way over possible. there. Ah, don't don't even worry about it. That it's all, all right. right. Wait, I don't, I'm looking to see if I have one closer. No, I don't. I mean, there we didn't have to do a whole lot of science to develop the product, other yeah. than we we knew the qualities we wanted in the rubber we're using in our soles. We wanted something durable. Like most running shoes, they say you need to replace them after three to 500 miles. Well, that's because the foam wears out in that time, usually less. And they wanted the outsole to wear out at the same time the foam did. So we wanted something durable. We wanted something flexible. We wanted something um, that was going to give you good traction. Obviously we wanted as, as thin as we could make it for the various uses that we were doing. When we approached a rubber manufacturer about this, they said, but that's not how they make the rubber for running shoes. We went, yeah, no joke. That's why we want to do it this way. <laughs> so we didn't need to, we didn't need to do anything other than know the characteristics that we were looking for and then ask someone to build to those characteristics. That so that was sense. the, that was the easy part. And then after that, um, it, it it all becomes pretty obvious if all you're doing again is giving your foot some kind of protection, some kind of traction um, based on what you're doing. So for example, let's see if I have one here. Um, so this is one of our trail running shoes. Hiding on the inside of this sole is a tiny little bit of what we call trail foam. Just a little bit to take the edge off if you're, you know, running on trails because that's a little more can be it's totally possible to run trails completely barefoot and be fine, but mm -hmm. it takes a while to get there. So this is, you know, we're never going to not have something that lets your foot move naturally. And then we want to give you as little as we can get away with to accomplish what you're trying to, to accomplish. So we have a grippier, luggier sole and that little bit of trail foam, uh, on the inside. And, um, there was a reason that I was bringing that up. Um, science something. Oh, so, you know, once you know what the basics are, Protect yeah. your foot, hold that on. The rest of it's pretty straightforward. Now, there's some other elements to what we do that are unique to us. So like these straps that you see on most of our shoes, they're not sewn down. So that way you can hold around your midfoot and your instep more securely, which lets your toes relax even more. And that was an idea that I came up with because I knew nothing about footwear. I was just watching humans and feet and thinking about what you need to do to hold something on your foot securely if you're running or walking or hiking. And I came up with that idea. No, that that's actually that's exactly what the answer I was kind of hoping for is that that little <laughs> deep dive. So thank you. So here's a, in, in my preparation, I thought of this hypothetical that I wanted to ask you. So let's take two extremely active 20 year olds and put one in zero shoes and one in, I guess, what would you even call, I guess, traditional sneakers do you, do you have a well, name not, you call them out of curiosity because again 50 years out of 10,000 years yeah traditional yeah. probably would be the right um, word I, I refer, well I refer to them as foot coffins but that's a whole other story we'll use so. that I'll, I'll use that so you give one 20 year old zero shoes you give yeah. one 20 year old foot coffins yeah. both really active and you revisit them in 20 years what differences would you say you'll find the zero shoes again we're we're hypothecating the zero shoes person should have um stronger more responsive more resilient feet at the very least um and shouldn't and the person in regular shoes will have weakened their feet again if they're using art support the research shows things get weaker um there's a high probability they'll have a higher injury rate although we don't have that's not demonstrated yet because there ha that study hasn't been crafted well is the easiest thing I can say. But what I can tell you, here's a let's let's get out of the comparison and just use something yeah. that's really interesting. Nike came out with a study that they say was an independent study. They designed it, they paid for it, done by an independent lab. 
Um, who knows what that means? Correct. 12-week training program for a half marathon. And they put people in, uh, they had two groups of people. One group that was in their best-selling motion control running shoe called the Zoom, wait, the Zoom Structure 22, I believe. And other people in this new shoe that they said was designed to reduce injury called the React Infinity. So what they publicized is the people in the React Infinity had a 52% lower injury rate than people in their best-selling shoe. Well, the first question you have to ask yourself is, why are you making any other shoes then? Once you just discovered that this one's 52% better than this one, why are you still making that at all? Makes no sense. But then you have to dive into the numbers, which they didn't publish, and I found by finding the researchers. Uh, so it's true, 52% fewer injuries. But in a 12-week study, in the best-selling shoe, over 30% of the people got injured. In the new shoe, only 15% got injured. So almost one out of three versus one out of seven. So let's take this into a different context. I want to buy you dinner at a restaurant every night this week. You have a choice between two restaurants. The one where you might get food poisoning once out of seven days and the one where you're probably going to get it twice out of seven days. Which one do you want to go to? Once out of seven. I guess <laughs> I, I'd say, I guess, I guess if it's a trick question, neither. But yeah. you pick the yeah. one with less. Yeah. But, yeah. The, but now the interesting thing is they say that they think the reason there was fewer injuries in the React Infinity is they say they got rid of many of the protective features of their best-selling shoe. Well, we just got rid of all the protective features except something to protect your foot and something to hold that on your foot. So that research hasn't been done yet, but um, we look forward to when it is. So uh, the, one of the things I can say is uh, Dr. Irene Davis from Harvard asked a panel that I was on, including a guy from Brooks and a guy from Adidas. In the 60s, she said, we were running in super thin-soled running shoes. We were playing basketball in Chuck Taylors. And we weren't seeing the number of injuries or the kind of injuries or the severity of injuries that we're seeing now. So she says to the guys from Brooks and Adidas, what problem are you trying to solve and why didn't it work? No answer. They were stumped. Wow. Well, that's just, I mean, it is just so fascinating, you know, kind of, you know, beginning to understand that, you know, all this stuff that we almost took for granted is just completely created on accident and is doing us a lot more harm than good. Yeah, I sometimes half joke that it's too bad that modern running shoes don't uh, kill you like smoking does, because then there'd be an uproar. But instead, they just can hurt you in ways that I mean, people, you know, it's funny, there, there are people who say, well, you know, you can get hurt uh, when you're running in, in minimalist shoes or running barefoot. It's like, but look at the kind of injuries that they're talking about. And you'll see it's a whole different game. It's like, hey, I got some, you know, my Achilles is strained a little bit. Okay, well, let it heal and then relax a little more. And you don't have to, don't push off with your foot and overuse your Achilles. Oh, you know, I'm getting, um, I, I'm getting blisters. Oh, that's because you're landing with your foot too far in front of your body. You're trying to pull your foot across the ground. But I mean, blisters can be the best thing in the world because A, they heal pretty quickly. And if you try to not do the thing that caused the blister to begin with, you will change your gait, which is what happened for me. I got a big blister on the ball of my foot on my first barefoot run, my second barefoot run, I found out how to not have excruciating pain by doing that same thing. That's when my form changed. That's when my running got better. That's when I became a master's All-American sprinter. Well, that that makes sense. Well, let's, you, yeah. you know, because our um, our podcast, you know, is also, you know, a lot about athletes. Why don't we talk about your, your sprinting for a second? Could you do sure. a dive into... I guess how you got into it, then how you re-got into it, and then how Zero Shoes sort of took you to that next level. Well, the got into it is simple. Um, uh, it, you know, I just remembered something. Um, there was a he's a Olympic 
runner, distance runner, who was doing some coaching in like junior high school, maybe high school. And someone said, you know, how do you find good athletes? He goes, you go to the elementary school and find the fastest kid or find the one who's the fastest for the event that you care about. So mm-hmm. I was the fastest kid in school up until the time I was like 16 or 17. And, um, but only in short distances, I couldn't run long distance. I mean, by long distance, I mean, not very long, like for anyone old enough to remember the presidential physical fitness test, one of the parts is a 600 yard run. I could barely make it around that thing in time. So, but on the, all this faster stuff, I was, you know, crushing it. Wow. Um, and, um, then everyone got taller than me. Um, I'm a whopping five, five, and that made a difference. Apparently the track coach in my high school didn't actually know anything about coaching track, let alone sprinters. So I switched to pole vaulting and long jump. Um, and then that was it. I didn't really do any running until I was 45. And what inspired that was a friend of mine came in to brunch one day and he, he said that he had just run a, and won a 5k. And I said, you know, I've tried running, but I don't like it. I was always a sprinter. And that was literally the first time it occurred to me that the, the difference between running and sprinting. Um, and, uh, he says, you know, there's a whole master's track and field circuit that includes all the sprint events and things like that. I went, no, no, I, I did not know that. <laughs> so he introduced me to a local coach of which in Boulder, there are many, but not very many sprinting coaches. That's a whole other story. Yep. But I started training with this guy and, um, that's when I was getting injured. Like, you know, every week on the, I could practically set my watch by it. I have two days that I felt good and then I'd get an injury. And one day I'm hobbling across the kitchen floor and my wife looks at me genuinely confused and curious. She goes, um, are you having fun? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, more than you can imagine. So uh, so that was sort of how it began. And then again, once I experienced the benefits of being barefoot and then getting something to uh, keep my feet from being bare when I was not in the right circumstance, that was what really made a difference. And that's what inspired Zero Shoes, obviously. So was, um, uh, and, and that's what has continued to help me run. I mean, I, I tried a year ago when there was an indoor track season, I ran in my spikes and then I ran in this shoe. No difference. So we're actually, I'm working with a guy uh, who used to be at Nike developing a new sprinting spike that doesn't have spikes that weighs 30% less than any other sprinting spike, sometimes 50% less or more actually. Um, and let your feet work more naturally, which should give you more power, which might make a little difference, you know, maybe a 10th, Maybe, which is huge for sprinting. Sometimes that's all it takes though, right? I mean, Often all it takes is a hundredth. Yeah, correct. Yeah. No, well, that, that, that's really fascinating. So I guess here, here's another question I have for you that's really for, you know, the audience of this podcast being a lot of martial artists, people who practice Tai Chi. So, and I think we've already kind of touched on it, but taking those disciplines and practicing it in zero shoes, how much do you think that would enhance their experience? I think it would because, mo- so I, I did and taught to Chi for a number of years, geez, 30 something years ago. Um, and, um, uh, and, fr- and to be um, candid about it, the only reason I stopped is I had knee surgery and by keeping my knees bent for any period of time, it was excruciatingly painful for hours afterwards. And mm-hmm. that never really healed. Um, or never really got much better. I actually haven't, 
I haven't gone and done the form in a while, so I don't know. I'll have to check. But anyway, um, be that as it may. So I was doing Tai Chi. I did Aikido. I came out to Boulder. I was doing Kudo, Zen Archery, which is um, they like to call a martial art. My line is Kudo, Tai Chi, Hapkido, whatever. You know, someone's going to die. And um, and the someone when it comes to Kudo is your idea about yourself, uh, which is the, true for all the martial arts, really. Oh, yeah. But anyway. So most of the shoes that people would go down to Chinatown and buy for wearing for Tai Chi or any, any martial art where you're wearing footwear, they're too narrow. They're surprisingly narrow. So, um, and the soles are usually like a crepe sole or something fabricy that wears out faster than it needs to. And some of them were thick enough that you really weren't feeling as much. So a shoe like this, I keep holding this one up. This is called our Speed Force. It's the closest thing to barefoot that we make other than our sandals, which are even closer. Um, it's lighter. It's got a wider toe box so you can really grip the ground and, and get rooted. Um, and I think you, you may get more feedback. Now, if you're really geeky, just get a belt sander and, you know, even sand this yeah. down. Get a little more feeling out of it. No, that's that's great. I mean, I, I think given all of this, that you know, all of our listeners could really benefit from you know having a pair. So here's, well, wait, yeah. here's the down. Here's yeah, the down. Yeah, please, please. If you're wearing these for practice and then you keep wearing them outside, then you don't get that. Um, then you may lose that identity that many people have of walking around in a pair of shoes for, you know, Tai Chi shoes or something where they like to, you know, present themselves as I'm the guy who does Tai Chi. That and mental so, primer. Yes. Yeah. yeah so, you know, if you're that guy where you're trying to, where you're trying to telegraph, you know, Hey, look at me. Um, then you, you might lose some of that. <laughs> well, hey, well, I guess if that's the worst thing to lose. That's not awful. So here's, so you might know this actually national walking day is this Wednesday. Oh my God. Right. I have no idea what day it is because we just moved into a new house. So I'm a little, a little, uh, temporarily challenged, but, um, that's a really good point. I got to do something about that. Yeah. When, so, so speaking of that, yeah, it's, it's this Wednesday. Do you have any, cause I know you're saying that it takes a while to get comfortable walking barefoot. Well, well I mean, walking barefoot. So yeah, because if you haven't been using your feet and paying attention to how things feel and where you place your feet, um, that can, it can take a little while to use that things that when I first started doing this 12, 13 years ago, um, uh, when I would, there were certain surfaces that were really uncomfortable to walk on that now are totally fine. Not because my feet have gotten calloused or the mm -hmm. skin has gotten super thick. It's because they've actually gotten more flexible and more responsive. Um, and I also pay attention more and don't walk on things that are going to be stupid to walk on. So, so, uh, walking is really, a pretty easy transition for most people running is a different story um or hiking or you know climbing that's a slightly different story because you again you're 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 adjusting your gait to do the more natural thing which is landing with your feet underneath you using the springs that are built into your body instead of trying to rely on the footwear which never actually works well that makes sense well so let's say in the spirit of national walking day do you have any sort of introductory 101 tips on you know getting out there and, and being barefoot find a smooth hard surface um the smoother the better at first but then a little bit of texture is fun and then just go for a walk and make it really short don't do too much you know if if, if it starts to feel this is one of the things about being an old athlete mm -hmm. <laughs> is that it took me years to learn that when i have the thought let me just do one more that's the time to stop and so if you're out walking barefoot and just pay attention and play with your gait, see what happens if you land on your foot in different ways, or if you walk faster 
by using the same stride frequency by pushing more out of the back, for example, or you walk with a slightly shorter gait, or you walk slower and fast with a you know faster gait. I mean, basically play with all the variables, how fast you go, how fast your legs are moving, where you're landing on your feet. Um, think about lifting your feet off the ground instead of pushing off the ground. Think about placing your feet on the ground instead of just mindlessly landing on the ground. Just experiment and see what it feels like. But if it starts to feel like, yeah, you know, maybe I should stop, stop. Just wait. Yeah. There's no rush. Um, there's no bonus points for, you know, being the fastest person to transition to barefoot. If you spend a lot of time, actually, it doesn't even have to be a lot of time. It depends on how your brain works. Depending on how much time you've spent in shoes that don't let you feel or move, uh, and depending on how your brain deals with new movement patterns, it'll take as much time as it takes. But think of it this way. If you broke your arm and had it in a cast, when you get the cast off eight weeks later, it's kind of atrophied. It doesn't work. You can't move it the same way, even though you should be able to, but you just can't. Part of that is your brain. Part of that is your musculature. Now, you have two choices. You can work on getting your arm working again by doing strengthening, stretching, et cetera, uh, or you can just keep it supported for the rest of your life, which makes more sense. Same thing with your feet. So there's no rush, but if you let your feet and ankles and hips and legs start working more naturally and build up strength and agility and mobility, then that's something that should last you for the rest of your life. And why not take the couple of weeks, couple of months, maybe six months um, for that to really become natural for you? And then it's it's a never-ending process. You can you're always finding these little things that make it work better, feel better, feel more fun. Um, you can always spot a barefoot runner from like 50 yards because they're usually smiling the same way little kids do. And, you know, there's no reason not to spend a little bit of time to go back to that kind of fun. Well, so, so to, to segue slightly, because with what you just said, as well as what I was doing my research, it seems like fun is a real guiding principle in, in your life. And so to talk about personal <laughs> philosophy for a minute, what would you say your personal philosophy is? And I mean, you seem like a super happy guy. How did you get to oh. that? Well, that's only because you're not in the car with me when someone is driving 10 miles under the speed limit in front of me, um, or you're not with me when our factory delivers a product that isn't what we asked them for. Um, uh, then I, then I'm, I'm much less fun, but I try to get back to it as quickly as I can. So, um, the, the fun thing for me, the way it really shows up in my life actually is that I've never had a job. I've always just done things that I thought were interesting and somehow found a way to make a living at it. And that, and I don't know why just never occurred to me. I never had a resume, never interviewed. I'm tempted to interview for a job just to see what it's like because <laughs> why not? Um, and, uh, and then do everything in my power not to get hired. So, um, so the fun thing is important because if you're, the whole idea that no pain, no gain became a mantra for the nineties and beyond is just mind blowing to me because it's just not true. Now that doesn't mean that when you're lifting weights or trying to run a little farther, a little faster, that it's always easy. I woke up this morning and I could barely get out of bed. Something, you know, I was on the track on Sunday. Um, I trained especially hard and I woke up this morning and my back was all a little out of whack and it took just an hour of just moving until it felt okay. I'm almost 59 years old. I don't know why. I don't really care. But um, training hard is hard. But it's also really fun. <laughs> There's something about that that's enjoyable. So I guess enjoyable is really the better word than fun. Yeah. And and. And there's also a weird thing to pay attention to about what you find enjoyable because some people, you know, go a little overboard on the um, like, you know, the no pain, no gain is enjoyable part. It's like, oh, yeah. I don't know. 
you know, like with, with running in minimalist footwear or barefoot, you want to learn to relax as much as you can. You want to align your body well. Same thing with martial arts. Yeah. I, I had an analogy when I was doing Tai Chi that I, I said to my teacher, I said, I finally think I figured something out about this. He goes, what? I got, this is not about being like noodly relaxed. This is not about being just, you know, so flexible. It's really, especially if you're using Tai Chi as a fighting art, if you're doing push hands and actually fighting with Tai Chi, it's really that what you're doing is you're like a 2000 ton girder on a perfect fulcrum. So it can move effortlessly with just the tap of a finger. But when it stops, it's perfectly aligned and you go slamming into it and then bounce off of it. He goes, yeah. So alignment is everything. And when you can get alignment right, then you can relax more. And there's that balance between alignment and relaxing. So you're not a noodle that mm -hmm. just collapses, but you're also not stiff. And that the, the game of finding that is really interesting and, um, and very enjoyable. And, and maybe, you know, that's the kind of the, the, mm, the mesh between these two things that we're talking about running and, and martial arts and, and fun as well. And using enjoyment as a guidepost or as a touchstone or as a goal. I, I love that. Don't be a noodle, but you know, don't be concrete either. I mean, that, that is just, there's definitely wisdom there. So, so if you, you know, if you're concrete, yeah. you want to be concrete when it's time to be concrete. But the right. irony is the way you're concrete isn't by being tight. It's by just being so well aligned that it's like it's like someone just ran into a wall, ran into a, you know, 2000 ton girder that what got me into Tai Chi. I'd been doing Aikido before that. And there was a guy on the mat who um, always just wore a white belt. And it was kind of a big, you know, little overweight kind of roly poly guy who just destroyed everybody. And he was, a he was like a you know third degree black belt, but he just never wore it because he didn't want to do that. He wanted to, yeah. he didn't want to be intimidating to certain people, but he also wanted to trash certain people. Anyway, he had also been doing Tai Chi for 22 years at the time. He was 27, uh, when he was at this, when I met him and someone said, have you ever had Eric push you? And it's like, no, they said, oh, you got to come over to the house and let him push you. So I show up at this house and I'm standing in the archway between the living room and the dining room. There was a dining room table, but the living room was totally empty. Very typical Tai Chi house. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so I'm standing there and Eric says, you know, put your arm like this. And he puts his hands gently on my arm and, he, and he's just kind of moving me around slightly. And uh, I look behind me and I see something that I didn't know was there before, which is four guys holding a mattress about 10 feet behind me. And just as I'm about to say, what's with the mattress? He goes, see ya pop. And it felt like I suddenly ran into a wall and bounced off of it and landed on the mattress. And I went, I'm in. <laughs> that is hell just happened. <laughs> that is that is just thank you for sharing that story. I mean that that is hilariously mind blowing at the same time. Well, it, I mean, th just the, that 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 kind of giddy little look in his eye when he went bye bye pop, <laughs> and then you were gone. I mean, that's just you know, and 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 I think you know that's getting back to you know being viewed as. Um, quote unquote alternative, at one point, the proof is in the feeling. And, you know, how many studies do you even need to know that, you know, look, the, this is how you should be walking and running, you know, look, the, these herbs will, will help you out. And so I think, so, so what you know, are you doing? I, I mean, yeah. just for, the fun, for the fun of saying it though, I don't yeah. want to dismiss all modern technology and all things that we have learned over the years. Oh, no, and, not at all. 
and there's and there are many things that are undeniably placebos. I have a uh, a friend who's a I guess he's in his late 80s now. He's a, a German doctor uh, in Germany, and I said to him at one point, um, "Do you ever prescribe placebos to your patients?" He goes, "Maybe about 30 percent of the time." I said, how often does it work? He goes, about 80% of the time. I said, what do you do for that 20% that it didn't work? He goes, I give them a bigger pill. I said, how often does that work? He goes, about 80% of the time. And so, you know, I'm not going to discount that some things that we think work may work not because there's anything efficacious in the treatment itself. It's just, you know, something for, for us and the way our, our minds work. But, um, uh, but what I will say is that we so often don't investigate more thoroughly and look to see what the right option is for us at the, at the right time. And for a lot of things, um, what's natural is really best. There's sometimes where it's not. There's sometimes if you have a massive deformity in your feet or your ankles or your hips or your knees, maybe you do need some specialized footwear. If you, if you have something that um, some illness that is reliably treated by some little pill that comes from a pharmaceutical company. Um, the idea that you're only treating the symptoms is not necessarily accurate and there's real value. I, I remember seeing something, um, cracked me up. It was, a uh, um, some alternative science or some science website and they, they published two studies right next to each other. One was how meditation lowered blood pressure by three points in a 10 week study right next to it was here's this medication that lowered blood 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 pressure by 20 points overnight. <laughs> and so, you know, you got to be, you have to use your brains and look at everything and make smart decisions. A hundred percent. And it's definitely a balance between, you know, like you said, understanding what's from the past and understanding, you know, look, you know, this will help this situation. So, I, I'm not, yeah. I'm not sure there's a lot of evidence that powdered rhino horn does make you more potent. Hey, I'm not, I'm not aware either. I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a, a few more questions before we right. wrap up here. So I'm a big fan of analogies, and this was something else I was thinking about prior to our conversation. So in your opinion, is wearing the, the quote-unquote regular running shoes as silly as wearing gloves on your hands, like, you know, year-round for no reason? Yeah, uh, yeah I would say um, just imagine trying to text while wearing mittens. Yeah, because that, that's what it like seems like to me is it seems, yeah. especially after this conversation, that silly to, you know, us be wearing gloves. Well, all the here's, time. well another another version of that is um, think about arch support where people say, well, here's what's so funny. People say they need arch support because they have either flat feet or high arches. Well, it doesn't make sense to have the same treatment for two completely different things in my mind. Mm -hmm. But arch support was never developed to be something that you wore for the rest of your life. It was developed to immobilize your foot while you had some injury so the tissue could heal, but you want to get moving as much as you can, as quickly as you can, um, so you can get back to having fully functioning arches. So wearing arch support for your whole life is like if you're in a car accident and you get whiplash and they put you in a neck brace and then you wear that for the rest of your life. Bad idea. It's like um, those tribes in Africa where they put the rings on people's neck and extended their neck. They can't yeah. take those rings off because then their neck collapses. So yeah. same thing, you know, you support a joint, it gets weaker over time. Uh, you want a joint to be strong, you use it. Again, use it or lose it. This is not rocket science. Or as they said 10,000 years ago, it's not rock science. <laughs> I love that. So so two more. So, okay. you know, once again, the, the name of our podcast is Stank. 
is staying in the game. And it's the mindset of whatever your game is, you know, being able to participate in it as long as possible. So what would your number one tip be to somebody for staying in the game? Um, <laughs> realize that your brain doesn't know how old your body is. So, you know, you've got to make adjustments over time. Uh, and it, it is hard. It, I, like I mentioned before, when I have the thought I'll do one more is when I stop. That took me, like I said, years to learn. Um, I'm at the age where I may be able to get a little faster for the next couple of years before I do, I undeniably start getting slower. No question about it. It's just the way it is. I was at a um, the senior games, and I'm talking to a bunch of 60-year-old-plus sprinters, and they're saying, you know, once you get over 60, it just falls off a cliff. And a bunch of 80-year-olds were standing next to them, and they went, dude, you have no idea what you're talking about. Just wait. So like the world record for the hundred meters for people over 90 is something like 18 seconds. I mean, that's not fast, but for someone who's over 90, that's fast. And you've got to get, you know, you've got to re mm, what's the word, um, re scale, re adjust, re, you, know, you got to check your thermostat. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, it just it's going to change. You don't recover as fast when you're older. You need to deal with that. Um, you can't. I would love to lose about five more pounds of body fat. It used to be when I needed to do that, I just wouldn't eat for a day. Um, at 59, almost 59, that's a whole different game. And I know that for me, dietary changes don't make a big difference. My body goes, oh, you're going to be doing that now with your diet. All right, we'll just adjust and keep you at the same weight. Exercise uh, activity is what I'm susceptible to when it comes to body uh, um, transformation, but I just can't do as much as I used to, as hard as I used to. So what do I do? I get used to the fact that I've got about five pounds that I would like to lose. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's the way it is. So maybe it'll change, maybe not, you know, whatever. So that's, that's the biggest thing is your brain doesn't know how your body is and just make adjustments accordingly. I love that. Your brain does not know how old your body is. And so finally, where can people find you and where can they get shoes? Well, um, finding me requires stalking and we just moved. So that made it harder for people. Uh, but for finding what I'm doing and what our whole team of 50 people is doing, um, it's really easy. Go to zeroshoes.com. That's X-E-R-O shoes.com. Or if your computer auto corrects to zero, guess what? That'll get you to us as well. Um, and then you can find us on social media at, at zero shoes or slash zero shoes, wherever you happen to at or slash. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. It was a really great conversation. I think our audience is really going to enjoy it. Thank you very much. My pleasure. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to visit us at PlumDragonHerbs.com for show notes, a transcript, and links to things we discussed today. Also, if you could just take a moment to hit the subscribe button, you'll be helping us spread the reach of this podcast to others who could really benefit from it. Our guests have amazing things to say on staying in the game.